The presenting sponsor of this episode of Banana Island Living Podcast is Banana Island School. Banana Island School is a school with happy kids and very high expectations. So why don't you check them out? Uh, go to mail at bananaislandschool.com. Go to the website www.bananaislandschool.com. Or just check them out on Instagram at Banana Island SCH. That's Banana Island SCH. Welcome to season three. Hello and welcome to another edition of Banana Island Living. And I know I'm always sort of excited about my guests, but today is really, really fantastic. I'm so thrilled. I'm talking to somebody who we've just actually, last time we were speaking, found out that we sort of crossed paths, but we didn't quite know at the University of Ife. And my guest today is um, Professor Nii Koka. Hello. How you doing? How you doing? Thank you so much. Thank you so much for bringing me in and uh, inviting me to this. No, you're so gracious. And it's just like talking to an old friend. We've segued on to different, just you name it. We've talked about different things. But let me tell our listeners about your impressive career so far. I mean, there's so much going on in your life. So I'm just going to talk about a little part of it and then further down, then I'll talk about a little bit more. Um, Nii Koka Jr. is currently professor and director of the School of Theatre, Television and Film at the San Diego University in California. Now, before that, for 14 years, he was the E. Desmond Lee Endowed Chair and Distinguished Professor in African-American Studies at the University of Missouri in St. Louis. And in spite of formidable opposition, he created the first and only degree-granting program in African-American Studies at the University of Alabama in 1999, 30 years post-civil rights movement. And before that, um, he'd gone through the same thing, creating the first African-American studies degree program at the University of Wyoming in 1993. <laughs> and um, he he's made, he's the author of two books, several articles, award-winning documentary film director, and his films have best film awards at the London International Film Festival, the Madrid Film Festival, the French Nice International. Yeah, no, I could go on, but hey, his CV is super impressive. It, it makes me feel like a slacker. Like, <laughs> but oh, I feel like a slacker. I've done, <laughs> I mean, I, I've I, done I, very little. <laughs> I don't have a podcast that's doing this well. <laughs> no, no, no. You've you got know, a so film. You, I mean, this, the, the podcast <laughs> is for the poor man's version. There's a poor man. <laughs> The uh, version of creation. So no, I'm I'm in awe of what you've managed to to achieve. So tell me, uh, you were at University of Ife. Yes, very proudly. 1979 to 1982 or 83. 83, the best university in the world. Yeah, old Ife, great Ife, great Ife, the best in the world. Yes. Now, were you there with Shoinka at that time? Yes. Oh, wow. Very much so through um, the entire period, 1983, he was, yeah, 
He was a very hands-on um, and very inspirational and uh, directed. Uh, I was in about four, five, six shows that he directed. And of course, you know, he taught the major classes, humanist tradition and drama, aesthetics, um, the directing class itself. So, yes. <laughs> I mean, that era at IFE, I mean, yeah. if you mention anybody there, it's like name dropping, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. when we were talking, you said Ahmed Yerma, uh, Omotosho, uh, Ogumbi, everybody's gone on to yeah. great things. Yeah. And um, so what, what is it about that period? Was it, what, what, first of all, what drew you to Ife? Was it Shoenka that drew you to Ife or was it just serendipity or what? Well, you know, the things that funny, I had always been going to Ife as a child. Uh, right. Before um, uh, Professor Shankar came to Ife, my, my uncle, Olarotimi, my mom's brother. Oh, wow. Had been at Ife. Olarotimi was your uncle? He, yeah, my mom's brother. They had three kids in the family. There's an older brother. There's my mom, who's the only girl. and then, The gods are not to blame. Yes. So so basically, wow. I had been going to Ife and I'd been very acquainted with the folks at Orelopong. Um, and so in terms of trajectory and interest in doing theater, that had always been... It had always been a very, you know, innate interest even through high school. And uh, and so, yeah. you know, it was a natural thing for me at that point, you know, um, writing the exams to come to Ife. And, uh, but my uncle, of course, had left at that point for Pohaka. But I, he'd gone to Pohaka, but I knew Ife was where I wanted to do theater. No place else. Not Lagos, not Ibadan. Not, not UI, because Femi or Shopee Show no, was no, there. No, 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 not UI. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 not UI. No way, no way. Not, nothing. Lots of friends went to UI, but I think Ife was on a radical cutting edge at that point. At that time, it was amazing. Ife was a, Because yes. I remember they wouldn't even allow churches or mosques on it, but they allowed the the uh, Ifa or whatever it is. And we we used to go to Oshubu. Oh, yeah, with, uh, with Yeah. Precisely. Yes. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. So, I'm, and, and if you remember in Ife, there was no English department. There was a department of no. literature in English. Yes, literature in English. Uh, literature in English, again, which yes. again shows you the focus, um, that it was a very Africa-centered, culture-centered university. Incredible, incredible place at that time. So how come you left Nigeria for the U.S.? What, what, what was the driver? Well, I left to go to graduate school. Um, I wanted to, um, I really wanted to expand my education and knowledge in terms of um, doing an MFA, which is a terminal degree in theater. And, um, but the school, but the program I was looking at at the same time at uh, CUNY Brooklyn College was a program that also had, uh, was, it had film in it as well. So the MFA uh, was a combination of theater and film and television, you know, as a you know to, to to get the MFA in directing, so um, that basically was one of the major reasons and the attractions was it was not a, I wasn't looking for a program that was p- very puritanical just pure theater or pure film. The combination that it uh, combined theater and film and television and so you were trained in all mediums. It even had radio at the time. So you could get trained in all mediums um, was very appealing to me. And um, so actually the, I just went to go do that MFA in New York City. And you thought you were coming back? Yeah, I honestly, <laughs> I, I saw... Um, I saw. You didn't see yourself. Year, you thought one year, two years, two years max. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, the MFA is three years, and I just thought, all right, okay. um, I'll finish it in three years. It's a terminal degree. Come on back, set up shop in in eFair, or you know, start you know, really moving the theater program to that next level where we could actually start working on films and teaching students, acting on camera and directing on camera and, and expand, you know, the program or even actually practice, you know? Um, so mm. I had all those notions in my mind, you know? Um, and then what happened? It, it didn't happen that way. What happened? Life happened. Life, Life happened. happened. <laughs> at the end of the MFA, I got, I was able to get a, um, uh, a gig at MTV to start. Ah. And then, through MTV, um, I was I started to direct at the John Houseman Theater on Theater Row in New York, and um, working at John Houseman Theater on Theater Row and directing shows, um, I started running into uh, a lot of I I started getting more into African American theater. Wow! And honestly, realizing that you know in Africa we had not or in Nigeria we had very little knowledge, even though at Ife we had a strong basis in some ways, but we had not understand the depth of black theater in America. Mm. And, um, again, I, during the MFA, of course, we did a lot of, you know, white European plays. And at that point I tried to introduce South African theater into the program, um, being an MFA student. And, um, so I started doing the NEC understanding black theater in America and, uh, ergo the pursuit of doing, um, I ran into uh, reading a guy named Maleficati Asante. Okay. I checked you out and I, I saw he's played quite a bit of uh, something to yes. do with your, with your life journey. Yes. That's my mentor, really, academically in African-American studies. And so he, I became the first person to receive a degree in African-American studies in the USA in 91 um, through, through his, you know, uh, department at Temple University. And Temple, of course, became the first university to start offering PhDs in African, African American studies. And I got into that first class. I was really very excited about that because in that program were people like Charles Fuller, who had just won the, um, uh, I think he was not the Pulitzer for the so- soldier story. Yeah, the full, the yeah. play a soldier yeah. story, which became the soldier, yes. play a soldier story. And um, I was excited to go into that program and people like Sonia Sanchez were in the program, uh, people like Selwane Keto, um, people wow. like the late Welsh Asante with the Mufundalai technique. And of course, the great man himself, Maleficati Asante. At the same time? Yes, the same time. So it was, this, wow. the program was just beginning. It was in its first, you wow. know, and it was the first PhD program in the USA um, in African-American studies. So, um, I, you know, for me, there was no other, um, I I got PhD admissions into like Columbia and, um, NYU, but I didn't really want to do theater or aesthetics or dramatic structs, you know, dramatic theory. I mean, African-American studies was to me more appropriate. And I'm so glad I did because I learned so much about how we've been so, miseducated in in Africa. Well, it's it's interesting that uh, our conversation is going into that because I was going to ask <laughs> why African American yeah. as a Nigerian we come with this mm-hmm. this feeling this almost 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's not arrogance, but we have we always sort of feel we're enough. You know, it's an arrogance. Let's say it's an arrogance. It's, well, it's okay, an arrogance. call it call it what you, call it arrogance <laughs> then. But for you to have I mean, that, it's not like Nigerian who would say, "Do you know who I am? Do you know who I yeah, am?" Exactly, and then. <laughs> Even the gates man would tell you, do you know who I am? <laughs> but, uh, but for you to have that understanding of the African-American journey that far back, I mean, now we're a bit more woke. We're a bit more empathetic. Mm-hmm. But what, what, what for you, what was the yeah. Damascene moment that made you get that awareness? Um, I think in many ways, what, what triggered the awareness? Um, mm. The first few years, you you find yourself as a student, whether it's in Australia or the USA or Canada or Great mm. Britain or France, and you're African, um, or you you have you keeping your mind your African identity. You start to realize that you there is something to your identity, and you're not going to accept being inferior to somebody yeah. else's culture and identity. And you begin to realize in that space while you're a student, even though there's, you know, a lot of uh, Caucasians and European culture around you, that you're not, you are not going to be marginalized and you don't mm. want to be marginalized. And you realize how much your culture has been marginalized and how much your history has been marginalized and how come why you don't see yourselves in the curriculum in the USA and your Africa is just a footnote. You begin to understand the depths of colonization and you begin to under- understand the impact and the damages of slavery or enslavement. Um, you begin to understand that you are no lesser people in Africa. It's just that there's um, a world order that has placed you um, at that point of uh not just poverty, but ignorance and uh, victimhood, and self and self um, self awareness, or lack of self awareness, or self worthiness, oh, or something. Yes, this, yes, you know, all that comes into play. It comes into play again because at that point you begin to understand that there's a standard of beauty, um, and that standard of yeah. beauty does not include you. And for me, I think it's especially tougher on black women. Uh, because black women have to contend with that. Do you know? It's funny you should say that because I, I, I interviewed some, uh, children of the diaspora, one in England. And, and I said, is it true that it's hard for black women to find husband? You know, because <laughs> I, I know mm-hmm. black girls, accomplished, mm-hmm. good looking, yeah. and they don't find husband or if they yeah. find somebody, it would not be somebody that they would normally look at. If in Nigeria, they say, mm. If it's not for you, because I'm abroad, I would never have got out with somebody like you. Kind of is it true? It, it is. I mean, I've heard a lot of Nigerian women say, oh, my God, America is a leveler. Um, yes. And that a leveler in the sense that, you know, they can't really find people who um, meet them at the intellectual, emotional, psychological yeah, level. Um, yes. level, so to speak. And added to that is the aesthetic. Because there's a constant aesthetic in the West that um, upholds a standard of beauty that has allowed uh, the bleaching industry to um, do very well in a place like Nigeria, that has allowed the hair straightening industry to do very well in Nigeria. 
Ah, weave on. No, they've moved on. They've moved on from hair straightening. It's now weave on. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so all that, you know, that whole process, because it happened, it happened here as well. I mean, for many years, you know, and it still does in the, in the sense that yeah. how do you define beauty? What is, you know, um, I mean, we, we're in a war. I mean, right now there's, there's a Ukrainian war going yeah. on. Uh, Russia is invading Ukraine. And, uh, we talk about how basically people of African descent who are in Ukraine are not even getting any help. Can you imagine? Um, and that the help and the focus of the news is on people in the West. I mean, can you imagine? And uh, apparently they even tell us to go and fight for them after, after discriminating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. So, um, so all that was, uh, you, you know, you talk, you asked me about the driving force. All that yes. is kind of a motivating force to say, you know what? There's something I'm missing here. There's something I'm missing in the context that I see in New York City. People from Brazil, people from Mexico, people from Jamaica, people from Great Britain, people from Canada, who are all of African descent. Yeah. Who are people, the same descent who look like me, but who yeah. were taken to other places um, through enslavement. And yeah. um, again, then I even got curious about my own last name and how my yeah. own last name, you know, Coker, um, came to be basically the whole, you know, journey of enslavement and Sierra Leone and Liberia and finally settling in Abelkota, the grandparents, you know. Yeah. Um, so all that begins to come to play and you want to understand your place in, in world dynamics and structure. So for me, that was, that was uh, very important. That was your Damascene moment. Did you have, did you, did it, was it a gradual thing or, or what? Or was it, um, did you have a light bulb moment? No, no, it was gradual. It was, it wasn't a light bulb. Yeah. It was very gradual because it was gradual in the sense that you're doing a, a graduate program and, mm. and gradually you're beginning to see that you're not, the curriculum is not really addressing your part of the world. Right. The options of courses are not addressing your part of the world. Yeah. Um, there are not a lot of people that look like you in the program. Mm. Um, there's, um, I mean, so it's, it's, it's a great, and don't forget at that point, apartheid was ra- was raging in South Africa. Yeah. So here I yes. was in New York, um, really getting involved with, um, South African theater, ah. looking at race dynamics and, you know, South African story um, and comparing it to what I was seeing in the, you know, what I was experiencing and seeing in the USA. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it, uh, you know, it affected me personally, like, oh my God, somebody was racist to me. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, I mean, it, 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 it occurred, yes, but I was able to, you know, just yeah, shrug it off. I and just, just I beg Joe. Well, <laughs> <laughs> someone said, I didn't come all this way to let, I didn't come all this way from Nigeria to let racism derail me. You know, it's many oceans, many yes. pro- swam across the ocean, you know, yes. not ending up in this part of sea. No way. <laughs> I came all this way. I'm paying all this money. I'm going to let some character. I tell you, I tell you one funny joke. There's yeah. this um, uh, chap I know who said yeah. that um, a Nigerian, he came for an yeah. MBA or something in the US. And he got his first job. It was so excited. And everybody told him, ah, that madam, she's racist too. She's going to give you a hard time. He said, hmm, evil mm. man. This woman is going to derail me. It's a lie. Then he found out that she likes running. He had never run in his life. He started running with her. 
he started they started getting coffee together he said become the running companion he said well, he, by force he became her new best friend she couldn't hey. be racist again <laughs> <laughs> she became his greatest that, champion, and he was. And he said, behind he 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 would twitch his nose and say, "Jaga, sit down. You think I'm here to, to come and let some some skinny chick fail me?" <laughs> hey, that's the thing. He found, he, he basically yeah. found a soft spot. Yeah, yeah. I went through. That's it. Yeah, he you knew know? she was racist, but he know? said. I'm not going to let that derail yeah. me. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going home, but I yeah. need to learn everything I need. I need to get money yeah. to pay back. <laughs> I just, <laughs> but I, do you know what, what impresses me about you? What impresses me about you in particular is, you know, you could have taken the path of least resistance, played the system you know, not necessarily calling out yeah. or or making it your focus, and still, you know, like you said, yeah. make your bag and and let these characters mm. face their own front. But you confronted mm. it not once, not twice, yeah. but constantly, asserting yeah. who you are, sure. asserting the things that drive you, and making yeah. those changes. Sure. What, where do you, where did that yeah. come from? Is it just, we can't just write it off as a Nigerian Shangri now. <laughs> what is it? What, what is the motivating factor? I have always felt that, you know, um, you don't want to take up space. If you're taking up space and you're not making change and you're not contributing to change, um, yeah. it's a waste of time. Yeah. And I say that even here as director of the School of Theatre, TV and Film, that, I mean, we've got a large, this is the largest school at the university, one of the largest wow. in terms of numbers. Oh, wow. Um, the enrollment and the faculty. I mean, this is Southern California and everybody wants yeah. to get on film and television here. Um, and so uh, just the example of, you know, having your co- working with your colleagues and making your colleagues appreciate diversity. Yeah. Um, doing shows that are not Western shows. We just did a Raising in the Sun. Yeah, I know. That's um, iconic. Doing large, yeah, large, huge X. Ex- and Raising in the Sun as a main stage, you know, um, wow. post-pandemic, one of the first plays in, in-person productions. Was it well a attended? large production I just uh, invited. Oh, very well. Very well. Fantastic. I mean, you know, we could have run for more nights. Wow. Yeah. Um, doing, um, bringing, uh, inviting Professor Bruce on the Black Bear. Yes, um, who's I was so excited to see that. In and, and, and Professor Shoinka. here right now. And Professor Shoinka was my former, um, you know, still my mentor in many ways and, uh, good friend and teacher, um, to come and, you know, um, have a discussion with Bruce publicly, which, um, and Kenny Ekundayo. Wow. A curator from Lagos, um, mm. and do this huge exhibit, huge, huge, one of the largest exhibits and discussions that's ever occurred on this campus. But it's centered on Africa, you know, yeah. African creativity and bringing everybody into it to, you know, be part of it. Three different school, you know, co- departments and schools to Gosh. work on this. Um, for me, it's, it, it, I, like I said, that's the role of a university is to enrich education and let people have yeah. the experience they would not otherwise have had. Um, 
of this culture, this beautiful culture or cultures around the world yeah. um, that actually make up humanity. And it's not one dimensional. It's not um, just the Western. It, uh, it enriches our lives yeah. in many ways. And so I think for me, that's the, that's always been the driving force. And that's, that's basically um, each place I've been, basically I've always looked at it. Like in Colorado, I said, you know, you guys have never done a native American play. There's wow. reservations eight hours away. Just, where yeah. I mean, people. Colorado's got so many native Americans. We have to do native plays. And they said, well, we can't find any. I said, okay, we'll Gosh. find one. And I actually went on the reservation in Ignacio, Colorado, sat with the oh. tribal council. Wow. I mean, it's eight hour drive from Denver down to Ignacio, Gosh. Um, which is in the four corners between Arizona, New Mexico, um, Utah. And, you know, speak with the, uh, tribal council and, you know, work on a production on their own story oh, on how wow. they ended up there in Ignacio, Colorado. Yes. And so we did a play with a hundred percent native Americans, you know, oh, wow. um, and it was done. Gosh. How did that, how did they feel? How did that make them feel? How did that make them feel? Oh, um, satisfied, oh. a sense of recognition. Oh. Of being seen. Of being seen. And this is your land. And this is a play that's yeah. saying, this is your land. It was taken from you. And this yeah. is how it was taken. And this is how you got moved to Ignacio. And, you know, this, I, the, you know, so, so basically it was that story that had, you know, nobody wanted to tell. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it got told, you know, I'll send you photographs and stuff later oh, on. Oh, please. That is production. so heartwarming. But it got told. And, um, yeah. It was not. Yeah, initially it wasn't very popular, but eventually, yeah, everybody embraced it. Wow. Um, because usually sometimes people don't want to confront truths like that because it's ugly. Um, and then, of course, in Wyoming, I did a documentary on the Black 14, which were 14 athletes that got thrown out of the um, football team because they were protesting the Mormon church playing against BYU. Oh, gosh, I didn't know that one. The wow. Mormon church's theology was that Africans or black people belong to a way, you know, sons of the, of, or children of the devil. and. Well, Mark. yes, I heard that. And do you know the biggest push, yeah. the biggest church pushing into Nigeria mm-hmm. at the moment is the Latter-day Saints. They're spending a shed load of money and building churches. So yeah. I don't know how that, yeah. you know, maybe they've evolved yeah. or how their theology or their... In 1976, the theology changed, and I have okay. I have a recording of that, where the Mormon bishop okay. announced to the world that you know God has spoken to him, and God has said black people are okay, and it and was I, I right shouldn't after be racist that, anymore. The Mormon church, um, <laughs> yes. like all like all of the churches spread around the world, um, yeah. and because they needed to expand, go to Brazil. Well, they go need to Nigeria, they need people, Africa, and Africans are the ones breeding. You need adherence. You need, you need, you need bombs adherence, and seats. you know, otherwise your church <laughs> yes. gets smaller. You'll die. That's it. Oh wow. You know, that's it. No, so I know I know you I know you have to go soon, but I just wanted to ask you. Yeah. You've done so much there. Doesn't it break your heart? As an old Ife person, don't you wish this was happening mm-hmm. in Ife? And and how, how in touch are you with what's going on there? The last time I was at Ife, I, you know, I run an Africa World Documentary Film Festival, yes, which is in yes, about 12 countries. That's another part of your and, handle. Um, I mean, you're just I, so amazing. I, I, I rep, yeah. 
I one the last time I was at Ife was I at an insistence that I had to have the documentary film festival show at Ife. Right. Um, in that first year I was in Nigeria um, with the festival. I think it was twenty eleven or right. twenty twelve thereabouts. Right. And Ten years ago. that was the last time I came to Ife. I went to Ife and um I I I was heartbroken oh. throughout that entire trip. I was distraught. Um, if it, it, it wasn't the place I went to, no, no, the facilities were, the facilities were totally in disarray. Oh God! The students were just lacked spirit. You could see it in their eyes. Um, the ebullience of the campus and the um, fervor yeah. was not really there anymore. The energy I mean, had gone everybody out of it. Just, it was gone. It was gone, and it's really painful because. The, one of the things that always I've always wanted to do was um, when my kids were in college at the university um, here. To I always talk to them about you know when I went to university and what oh. kind of university Ife yes. was and it was yeah. you know top notch and but you know I, I, I would I wanted to kind of have them come see yeah you know where I went to school and you know and and I just couldn't. No. I just, I would drew, I just, I just couldn't and I can't. I mean, they're done with college now and they, you know, adults in living their lives. But, you know, I just couldn't because it wasn't the same place. And that to me, and the fact that I <sighs> want to come back and give yeah. and I want to come back and do a lot of, you know, ship. I mean, we, there was a time we tried shipping books. There was a time we tried collecting, oh. doing a collection of money to redo the theater building and infrastructure and, yeah, you know, um, it the f- to let such a powerful institution it's it's just um, so destroyed away like that. It's so um, destroying. It's so destroying. It's destroyed. You know, um, it it it's a treasure that we've lost, and I I yeah. hope we can gain it back again. That kind of um, culture of inquisitiveness, because in many ways, listen, we went to a university of Ife where we didn't really pay tuition. We paid for housing. No, very little. The food was great. I know. The campus was safe. We had top-rate teachers who we had access to, who would yep. go on and win prizes yep. years later on, yep. international prizes, who had no problem exiting the country to nope. top-rate institutions around the world. Um, so the country gave us something. Yeah. I mean, such that when I finished... At Ife, when I came to grad school in New York, I won every scholarship there was to win as wow. the top student in the MFA program. And it was hard for my instructors to believe that I went to a university in Nigeria. that they hadn't heard about. Yes. Because I was, yeah, because I was ahead of the class in terms of, what was it, theater history, dramatic theory, dramatic structure? I mean, I, I was spouting off all the names and all the, because Shoenka Ogubi, Omotisho, Chokmai, had prepared us. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Folabu Ajayi, they had prepared us well, sound, such that Stephen Langley, who wrote Theater Management in America, once called me to his office and said, wait, I'm confused. This degree you have from, is it a baccalaureate? <laughs> I mean, are you sure it's not a master's you have oh, of wow. some sort? And I said, no, it's a baccalaureate. And, and of course, then we had to write a dissertation. Yeah, and I remember my dissertation was a comparative analysis of the Commedia dell'arte in Italy and Moses Olaya's comic technique. Wow! 
Wow. And that's the kind of thing you write at the at the at master's that time, or doctoral level. Yes. You had to, and you had to get it bound. Yes, I remember. You, had to pre, you know, yes. you it had to get proofread, and you had to have an external examiner come in and dissertate yeah. your, th- your thesis. Went out for them to read it, and of course, Shoinka was Professor Shoinka was um, yeah. a thesis committee dissertation chairperson. So he took you know, no he prisoners. Had, to he took no prisoners. You had to bring you know, your A game. Oh no, you had to, you had to come with. I will never forget. We were waiting on our final exam. I think it was humanist tradition and drama. And as we were waiting on the exam, I recall very clearly that, you know, then they used to post it on the board. It hadn't been posted and Professor Schoenka was supposed to turn in the grade. Yes, yes, the shame. He drove up from, he drove up from Ibadan with his road safety corps people, right? And we all rushed up to his car outside the theater building yeah. and we said, Hey, prof, how you doing, sir? Um, have you finished grading our exams? We're looking. We didn't see the grades on the, on the, in the, on the walls. <laughs> and he just looked at us and he, he looked a bit befuddled and he said, you know, I'm just coming from this road safety call thing. And there was this driver who ran into a car and he was trying to explain how he ran into the car. And rather than speak in Yoruba, this illiterate driver was trying to speak, explain himself in English yeah. and it was giving us a headache. And I remember that I thought to myself, why am I having this headache? Oh, yeah, yeah. Then I remembered your papers last night. I was reading it and I was getting the same headache I'm getting from this driver, which is yeah. our, our writing was just as poor as this public driver of a van who's trying to needless to say we all just froze like oh christ crap we've all failed <laughs> <laughs> you know yes. so it was like oh man oh, yeah. so nobody asked him again for days and days we had to kind of sleep on that and everybody was scared to go look at the board to see if uh if he'd actually posted the the yeah. uh, grades on the board, you know, but thankfully we all did well. <laughs> it was a little scare, but we all did well. Yeah, and well, and look where you all are yeah. today. Okay, well, we're gonna get to the bit where I, the bit I like most. What I want to know is about you. Um, what is the one thing remaining on your bucket list? What's the one thing on the bucket list? Yep. Huh? Because <laughs> you've done so much and you've achieved so much. Oh no, I I, I don't. I, I I think I've just been I've been blessed with uh, the good fortune of um, sometimes being at the right place at the right time, of having the right qualifications, and you know. Now that's not very American. Americans accept praise, and <laughs> you're, you're, now you're acting a bit oh. British. <laughs> it must be that Nigerian. <laughs> Ah, it's God, though. It's God, though. It's not me. It's God. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's Baba God. <laughs> Americans say, "Yeah, right. I did it. No. I did it." No, as as I always, I say to I say to students and everybody else, I say, you know, you're always standing on the shoulders of other people, yeah, whether you know it or not. So, what's on your bucket list? One of those areas that I'm I'm still very interested in. I started to work on it, and I backed away because of. Uh, my day job, I didn't have it, you know, I, I want to return to it at some point, is getting closer to understanding Africans in the Pacifics, Pacific Islands. Oh, um, right. Papua New Guinea, uh, wow. Australian Aborigines. Yes. Um, I've been fortunate to meet, you know, to spend time in Fiji. Um, and, you know, one thing about the Fijians is they are very proud of their Africanity. 
Oh, fantastic. Because you don't get that. You don't hear that. The Fijians tell you that. They came from Africa. The ancestors sailed, you know, um, east um, and ended up in Fiji. And if you go to the Fiji museums, um, Fijians are very proud of their African heritage. And, and again, but it's, we don't get that. And the thing is, we as um, African people don't even see the connections or we don't want to see the connections. Um, you go they to Vanuatu. They don't even exist. They're not in, in our purview. We don't seem to know yeah. they're there. There's so much divide. And I, I, I recall I was talking to a friend of mine who's um, who a classmate, Sadife, and uh, she's pretty high in government in Nigeria. I guess I won't name her. But she's pretty high in government and she does diaspora work. And one of the things mm. I said to her was, um, why do we still have um, a place like Focados? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. why do we still have a place like um, uh, Escravos? Escravos. Escravos. Escravos, yeah. Okay. And, and you find people in Nigeria who tell you, oh, I'm from Escravos. I went to Escravos. And they're very proud of uh, it. Too. My auntie lives in Escravos. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And Escravos. Yes. In Portuguese, simply means slaves. Yeah. It no means slaves. And so if they named it, yeah, they named it as Gravels and we leave the name there, you know, and we're independent and we, you know, language means a lot to what you call people and what you call yourselves and how you see yourselves. And so I can't imagine anybody from Portugal or from Brazil um, saying there's a town called Escravos and it still exists, mm. you know, and we never changed it. Sad. Good Lord. Anyway, um, so Sunday morning, church or chill? No, I, I really don't do church. I don't do church. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a real Ife person there. Don't, they don't do church in Ife. Yes, I'll do the meditate. I'll I'll do the believing in, you know, um, a, a supreme being, a powerful force, um, uh, a universal force of humanity. No Yemoja, no Oshun. No, Orisha. Um, religion has its place. Or, you know, um, yeah. I think spirituality to me is the most powerful thing. And I'm, okay. I'm more of a spiritual person and believe in, in that, you know, we're all spirits connected and they're alternate parts of the universe we know nothing about. And uh, our place and time um, is something that we even still know nothing about ourselves. Mm. Who do you admire most? Who do I admire the most? I would say my admiration is for people who have sacrificed and paved the way for us to be here. Um, they've done simple acts um, to ensure that, you know, we get to where we are. Um, I I was just talking to um, somebody here at the office who you know, had no clue of who Mira Makiba was. And I said to him, I said, you know, there are a lot of nameless people who, for example, um, Mandela was in prison and nobody really knew he was in prison in the West. I understood what was happening with Mandela. Um, not until Makiba made the ultimate sacrifice of talking about him nonstop in the press here in the States and at the United Nations. And oh, right. Yes. I, I've never known any black man to free himself from prison unilaterally. And nobody recalled that, hey, there was this woman who sacrificed herself um, named Miriam Makiba to, 
keep his name alive, you know, and keep it in the consciousness of the West yeah. and in the conscience of the West. They, 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 they're just a lot of nameless, faceless people who've just come giving their lives. So it's not one person. It's more like, um, it's more like a characteristic. I was hoping for one name. Apart from Miriam Makeba. No, no, no. I was just saying that. I give that as an example. Um, one name. One name. Okay. Name, name, name one or two. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's, there, there, there's several names. I mean, there's, wow. There's my father. Oh, for fantastic. One, who, yes. You know, basically, you know, and I tell you, yeah, because it's, it's really hard to raise, you know, when you have a strong role model figure, um, or role model figure, um, you start learning that as a parent, you start appreciating as a parent what your parents went through and the tenacity and the drive they put in you yeah. and the sacrifices oh, they made. That's good. So your dad is somebody. Yes. Who... Yeah. My dad, my mom, my parents. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. Okay. So what are you reading at the moment? What am I reading at the, reading at the moment? Um, oh, let me... Have you, have you, I just actually opened it. Uh, this is a very fascinating and you, you, you might find it very funny. It's called the physics of God. Aha. We were just talking about God, the physics of God. Yeah. So what is it about? The physics of God. Basically it's a, it, it's a, it's a book really that, you know, um, intrigued me because a cousin sent it to me. We, we got my cousin, I have a cousin in Scotland who's a physician and, um, we got into this debate or this talk about um, what is the physics of God? What is God? You know, how do you define God? And <laughs> yes. the whole thing about reincarnation, transcendence, quantum mm-hmm. physics, the Big Bang Theory, um, how the universe came about. Right, gosh, that's deep. Yeah. Yes. So yes. yeah, so this is a this is a book written by a scientist and well a scientist and a group of scientists and physicists who um were looking at basically examining um what is the physics around God, you know, um and the universe and the yeah. alternate universe and the different Would it be about creation? Is it about the creation? Is that is that was there, was there creation? Was there really a creation? Oh, is that? I mean, because our um, I don't know the Big Bang our, Theory, or I mean, what yeah, was but there was that the creation? Was it, what was there? Big yeah, was it the collision? Was it the collision of planets? Was it? You know, was it a collision well, that caused? Yeah, but how did the planets start? Somebody must have okay. must have okay. created the, the planets. Okay, so, so that's the question. Did somebody? Did somebody? You know, yeah. did somebody? I'd love to read you know, that. Or did something, or did is it a natural phenomenon? Well, it's deep, and I and I, you know, if that if that book shed some light on it, I'll be eternally grateful because, um, yeah, it's it sounds like a fascinating topic. Okay, now tell me, uh, what what music are you listening to at the moment? What's on your Spotify? Your your current favorite song? <laughs> are you into Afrobeats? You have done the Afrobeat, but I have the book on Fela, but. I tell you one thing though, I can never, I can never get enough of Bob Marley or Steel Pulse. Uh huh. Steel Pulse. Yes, I could never get enough of Steel Pulse. That's old school. Steel Pulse is old school. Are you kidding? Me? You might call it old school, 
But if you listen to the lyrics, it's almost very, I hate to use the term, but prophetic, prophetic in that. I mean, we almost, we, we almost had a nuclear, nuclear accident two days or three days ago, right? I know. Yeah. You know. Yep. Yep. But doesn't it make you think that all these prophetic people, Mm -hmm. all these prophetic people, and they always seem to die. So (laughs) what is it? Well, still Pulse still Pulse is still going strong though. Are they? Yeah, I just saw no. them. I saw them two years ago before the pandemic. Good lord, these guys must be like how old? They they're going strong. If you've listened to their latest album, um, the latest album I think is one of the best. I didn't even know they're still releasing albums. I don't, I don't know they're still releasing albums. Their latest album yeah. is one of the best. I'll give you the title: um, Mass Manipulation. Wow. Mass manipulation. Oh, guys, I'm still going. Yeah, listen that's, to mass well, manipulation. That's, that speaks to the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, mass manipulation. That speaks to the moment. Yeah, and and the thing was they had released a song called Don't Shoot. They've released Don't Shoot. Don't Shoot. Before, oh, good Lord. Before, before was this, you all started talking about Was this after Judge Floyd? Or before, before? Way before Judge. This album came out before Judge Floyd, came out before the SARS protests. And I just was thinking, wow. man, if people during the SARS wow. protests had listened to Don't Shoot. But I, what I'm saying is that isn't this heartbreaking? Isn't this heartbreaking? That the same thing, the same thing over and over again. Yeah, but I think the thing about art is that art keeps us conscious and art helps us soothe the pain. Yeah. And um, I think yeah. it's Amira Baraka, Amira Baraka in one of his writings who said, thank God for the blues. If there was not the blues, black folk would have choked off and killed off a lot of people. But the blues has allowed people to kind of um, well, basically work out express therapeutically, yes. Have an avenue of for their... That's it. You know, but the, the other side of that is yeah. that... If it wasn't if it wasn't for the suffering of the black man, you wouldn't have the blues. You wouldn't so, have the blues. <laughs> that's horrible. That's true. Obviously. But, yeah. Yeah. So that, apparently these people needed to have the pain, yeah. which is a terrible thing to yeah. do, to say to a, a body of people. Okay. What are you watching on Netflix, Amazon Prime, or whatever? What Exterminate the Brutes. Raul Peck. What's that? Exterminate the Brutes. Oh, I must By Raul Peck. Right. Yeah. What is it about? It's about basically um, how people of color, Native Americans, Africans, yeah. Indians, were perceived in the early yeah. mid 18th century as the brutes that needed to be exterminated. Um, and it, that theme of exterminating the brutes has not it hasn't yet gone away as um, we begin to see uh, not just the genocides of different groups of um, people, peoples of color, um, and the techniques in which it was done and the consciousness to have it done. Um, And it's a very brilliant film because he, uh, documentary series and film because he goes back and forth looking at events that we think have passed and basically how they're correlating to current events today. 
Yeah, Exterminate the Brutes, Raul Peck. Oh, yeah, and the other thing everybody should read that I just finished reading, the it's called The Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Ah. The Confessions gosh. of an Economic Hitman. I'm learning a lot. Who's that by? No, please, no that, please you have to read that. That, that is a okay. must. That is a must, and I'll tell you why that's a must. I think anybody yeah. that's going to go into politics in a yeah. place like Nigeria, Africa, or the Caribbean, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you are not reading... Um, because this this is so detailed. It's, a, it's an autobiography. Um, it's an autobiography, and it's one autobiography that um, that actually it wasn't supposed to be published. Wow. It wasn't supposed to be published, and the person who published it um, allowed us to see the inner workings of the world and how eco- the economy of most countries. Yeah. Um, have been sabotaged before they even start. Deliberately. The author is a guy named John Perkins. Yep. Yep. Certainly of African countries. Yeah. And South American countries. Yeah. No, no. Confessions of an Economic Hitman by Perkins. It's, you've got and he to, was, I mean, that he, is a must this, read for him. And this chap, was he one of the actors or one of the perpetrators? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's his confession. Basically, talking about how he got into the business and, you know, it's a very deliberate business um, to look at destabilizing countries around the world to make sure that the economies are never theirs. Oh, is that something to do with vulture funds and things like that? Oh, no, 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 no. It's much deeper than that. Good Lord. It's much deeper than that. Oh, no, it's not about funds. This goes to how basically historically there's an arm that basically works with, you know, like you have intelligence. Yeah, yeah. uh, In government, it's an arm that just deals with economics. So it's it's, it's a form of economic espionage. It's economic espionage. Yes, it's economic espionage. Sabotage, espionage, you know, whatever it takes. I'm, I'm, I'm whatever it. it takes. Thank you. I thank you. If for nothing else, that one I must, I must absolutely read. That is so shocking. That is a must read. And he talks about how he ended up in the hospital after the book got released and he Gosh. had been poisoned. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will. I'm on it. So yeah. describe yourself in three words. Yeah. Three words. Describe yourself in three words. In three words, I would just say, you know, just compassionate, inquisitive, Mm -hmm. and um, creative. Yeah, creative. I'm I'm so impressed because you're one of the you're one of the few people who didn't um, you didn't hesitate to name the three. Most people start by being sort of a bit hesitant about describing themselves, then they do two, and then the third one. They sort of can't think of the third one, but yeah. you had the three down pat, just like that. Um, that's good. So onto well, that self be true. I think about well, I, I hear from my colleagues, so you know, <laughs> I hear from my colleagues. That's brilliant. <laughs> okay, now you have to tell me yeah. a joke. I, ju- I thought I already told you the. I told the joke. Okay. I'm waiting. I thought I told you. Okay, I'll tell you another <laughs> no, no, no. one. That one was part. Of, that right. one was part of the story. Yeah. So you now have to tell me and the this, proper joke. This is a real life. This, yeah, this is a real. This is a real life one. When I first came to grad school, um, 
in 1984-85 in New York. Um, there was a, another fellow Nigerian who was at a different graduate school, not undergraduate, but graduate school too. And um, we used to meet at this coffee shop, a bodega, the bodega in New York. And he was very inquisitive. Well, not he was curious. He was really curious. Yeah. He was curious as to how, you know, how you you put a quarter in a in Nigeria. You have vendors all over the place who sell in yes, the newspapers. Yes, yes, right. They sell in the papers. Yeah, and you collect it from them. He was yes. wondering why you put the quarter in, you open it, you take one out. You take one and out. Why so don't he you was take wondering two? why do people just take one out? <laughs> take two, three, four, five. So, make a business. So one day he decides, <laughs> he went in, he put the quarter, he opened the thing, and he, he removed oh 30, 40 goodness. newspapers in there. <laughs> and went to another corner of the street and was looking for, you know, trying to sell him. Yeah. And people were just walking by him looking like, you know. And <laughs> I thought, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, it's the paper. I mean, it was in there and rather than them put the money in there, they could take it from him and buy yeah. it. And so he culturally, he brought the, the, the vendor, street vendor mentality. <laughs> yeah. And so he was saying, you know, this thing, you know, why do they trust people to just take one? So if I go there, <laughs> well, I put in a quarter and I him. open it, I could take it all out. Yeah. He thought, okay, you know, let me try this, you know, I may as well. So culturally, um, it translated for him in that way. And I understood what he was doing, but I thought, man, you know, <laughs> but did he sell, you did know, buy from him? Um, but he learned his like People didn't buy from him. Ah, <laughs> I mean, cause it's, that's unusual. That's unusual. Yeah, like, so you know, this, you know, people aren't going to standing on the street corner telling people, you know, here's a buy paper, signs, 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 you know, and well, they do that in England, you know. They, and so he standard, thought, well, standard, we learn about it. They will remove still, everything. They, yeah, no, but no, those they are don't free. Though. Do. Those are they free. No, they ha- they used to sell the standard when I was commuting in London, uh, the Evening Standard. Oh. Now they give it okay, away. Okay, but then they would have a. But in those days, they have a little stall, and somebody will be there holding it to you. Well, a stall, like a little thing, and then they'll That's be trying it. to give you one, and you give them a coin or something. Yeah. I just hope he changed his ways, Chef. Oh, he has. He has. Yes. He, oh, he has. I mean, <laughs> that's sad. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've had thank an amazing you. conversation. Now, if people want to get hold of you, how do they? How do they get hold of you? Um, are you on social media? Are you? Um, I guess my email is ncokr ncokr sdsu.edu. N-C-O-K-E-R, Nii Coker, N-C-O-K-E-R at S-D-S-U, San Diego State University dot E-D-U. Thank you. Are you on Instagram, Twitter? Uh, no, I don't. My film festivals are, but I'm not. Thank you so much. I, I hope you come to Nigeria soon. I really do, because I think that you've got so much to create. I want you to go and see the few people still holding up the theater in Nigeria, um, Terra culture, you know, it's, it's, um, they're trying, obviously it's not where it could have been, but we hope things get better. Yeah. 
I'd love to. And really love to. Um, I'd love yes, to. Yes, I'll see you soon.